Good morning. I'll be reading from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6 this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephion and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Japheth, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession along all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God, we help you for the reading of your word. And now, Lord, we ask that you be with Aaron as he brings a message. And us sitting in front will have open ears and open hearts to hear what he has to say. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, again. We are almost at the end of our study in the book of Proverbs, and today our topic, our sermon title is The Kingdom as Wisdom. If you didn't catch on in some of those songs, we have Christmas and summer uh, to start off our time, and, and some of you have probably been waiting. Is he going to address what the book of Proverbs says about kings and rulers. It speaks a lot about it, and yes, we are. But this is not going to be a partisan sermon. The book of Proverbs doesn't lean right or left, blue or red. And the book of Proverbs is no manual for a government and how it should be ran. And many have joked that there are three things that you never talk about at a family gathering, right? Religion, finances, and politics. But Proverbs doesn't shy away. And so when God's word leans into something, we will address what it has to say. And so today, politics will be touched on, but the emphasis is on a kingdom. If I asked you over the last seven years, which covers two administrations, so we're going to be an equal opportunity offender here, don't raise your hand. If I asked you, have you been frustrated with at least one thing, every single one of you would raise your hand. If I asked you, have you been satisfied or happy with at least one thing over two administrations, every single one of you would raise your hand. And there's a reason why I chose the kingdom as wisdom and not a wise way to govern or politics according to the Proverbs. I use kingdom terminology because that's what Proverbs uses. That's what the Bible uses. The Bible talks about government, but the Bible talks most about a king and a kingdom. In the garden, as we've said, this Proverbs book is looking back to God was to be king. He had entrusted to Adam the ability and the command 
to rule. And wisdom considers God's kingdom and judges all else in light of that reality. Not our experiences. The same goes with family and marriage, right? We talked about this. Not every family is perfect. Not every marriage is perfect. And we can all agree, not every government or king is perfect. So let's consider the kingdom as wisdom. The kingdom of God as God would define it. His realm, his rule, and his reign. God's rule is everywhere. Abraham Kuyper is a Dutch theologian. He actually ended up being the prime minister of the Netherlands. So he knows a little bit about theology and ruling. He said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. We must consider the kingdom of God in light of his realm, which includes everything. God's rule or his right to govern is established by the very fact that he is God. He created it. He owns it. He sustains it. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. And even right now, Jesus is reigning. He's exalted. He sits at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning, and his reign refers to how he governs all things, exercising proper judgment with perfect righteousness. All right, so all that said, we're going to have a family discussion. The kingdom of God is wisdom. But let's pray. Fathers, we just heard in Exodus how you consider your people and you call us to indeed obey your voice, to keep your covenant, that we are your treasured possession among all peoples for the entire earth is yours uh, and that you call us to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God, as Moses commanded those people hearing that day, that these are the words that shall be spoken to the people of Israel. God, I pray that you would help me to speak your words to your people who gather here this morning and that we all might worship you as sovereign Lord and King of Kings and give you the glory and honor that you are due. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start with looking at what the proverb says about a king. There's three characteristics that I saw in my survey of the book of Proverbs that a king should be righteous, a king should be restrained, and a king should be reverent. So righteous first. Proverbs 14:34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Or Proverbs 16, 12 to 13, it's an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness, and righteous lips are a delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Don't we all wish that all of the officials and the rulers, local, state, or federal, reign like this and ruled like this? Righteousness is an attribute of God, as God is a perfect lawgiver. He always obeys His law. 
And a righteous king obeys God's moral and declared laws. A righteous king follows what the Bible says. He acts justly. Sadly, every king who has ever lived has failed. A king should be righteous, though. Second, a king should be restrained. So we've talked about Solomon, who is writing these Proverbs. In 1 Kings 4, it is said that his dominion over the region that he ruled stretched from modern-day Egypt to Turkey to Iraq. His realm was vast. His power was significant. And he could have abused his power, and if you know Solomon's story, he did. He had a thousand wives, and which wife would consider that a good thing? But a thousand of them submitted to his power. He abused it since he didn't have restraint. And when a king has all the power, he can do what he pleases. But a king, according to the Proverbs, should be restrained. Proverbs 14.35, a servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. Or 19.12, a king's wrath is like a growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Or 24.21 to 22, my son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them. And who knows, the ruin that will come from both. We don't have a king, we have a president elected by the people for the people, but he is not our personal servant to do our own bidding. There's over 330 million people that live in our country. There's, the larger the territory, the harder it is to govern, right? I can barely manage the six people that live in my home. But I think it's a lot easier to manage things locally than the state and then the nationally. There's a reason why our government is a republic. There's a reason why I think New England did a good job of establishing the local authority being in a town. That's where we have, and God's people can have the most significant influence. And we all acknowledge that every president, right, is and has been a sinner. Some love them, some hate them. Just look at the biographies. Even Lincoln and Washington have their detractors. And what we forget, though, is that our Constitution, it conceals the restraint a king must have. We take that for granted, right? The Constitution protects the people. And so we think, oh, they're not in control or they are in control. They just can't do what they want to do. The Constitution says they can't, even though they try. And so if you consider or if you criticize a totalitarian government or you try to overthrow it, you might disappear. Your plane might get shot out of the sky. When Kristen and I first met, we were on a missions trip to Thailand and Burma, Myanmar. And there was a woman who had rose to influence in the country. Her name was Aung San Suu Kyi. She was trying to help serve her people, the Burmese people. And she was not going after it with guns and bombs or anything like that. She was doing it peaceably to overthrow and subvert the military dictatorship that ruled and controlled this country. When we were visiting, this was 20 years ago, uh, tourists could only visit seven towns or cities in the entire country. 
She won a Nobel Prize and the government did have restraint because the entire world was watching what was taking place and so they put her on house arrest. But when we visited, we were told by the missionaries that we were visiting and serving that we are not even to mention her name in public or even in private because there could have been bugs in the telephones in our hotel that we were staying in. We had to call her the lady because if you're familiar with totalitarian governments like North Korea or Russia or China or Iran, the governments don't have restraint. They can do whatever they want. When kings don't have restraint, they do. Monarchs have absolute authority, but a righteous king is restrained. Proverbs simply says, A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evils with his eye. In Proverbs 20, verse 8. Proverbs helped Paul to say words like this in Romans 13, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear, fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he, speaking of the ruler, is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We want rulers to restrain evil, don't we? When farm stands are robbed locally, right? We want justice. We want it to stop. Many questions the riots a couple years ago. Motivated by racism, which is sin. The authorities excused one law violation for another, okay? It's like, it just didn't make sense to any of us, right? Righteousness and justice are remixed with restraint. And parents, you know this, right? There's different degrees of consequence. Some consequences are natural. And others, they're more intentional, right? Even our justice system has degrees of consequences. Law students might correct me, but even Vermont has different levels of consequence for someone who dies, right? First degree murder is an intentional murder. Gets 35 years to life. Second degree murder is maybe a crime of passion. Gets 20 years to life. Manslaughter, an like accidental death, is a $3,000 fine or 1 to 15 years. Kings and rulers, according to Proverbs, should be righteous and restrained. But restrain doesn't mean unrighteous. Sin must be punished to restrain evil. Rulers should be righteous and restrained. The key reason, though, they aren't is our third point. They aren't reverent. Kings should be reverent. Proverbs 24, 21, again, My son, fear the Lord and the king. The king himself should be fearing the Lord as well. And Solomon, the king, is telling his son or those who are reading to fear the Lord and be reverent. In Proverbs 28, 15 to 16, Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Power and money are the things that oftentimes will overthrow one government over another, but Proverbs calls leaders to be servants. Kings should not be in it for themselves. Well, reverence will preserve everyone, both the kings and the subjects underneath them. And I think it, 
our Constitution is a miracle where a people would voluntarily regulate itself and submit to another higher authority. We take our laws and our government documents for granted, I think, often. If we're honest, if we had a perfectly righteous and restrained and reverend ruler, we'd probably want him or her to stay on that throne in the White House for a long, long time. And it's no surprise that many just want to give up and be apathetic, right? They'll just fail us again. But we must remember, a ruler is a window to a greater ruler. Like a father points to a heavenly father or a husband points to our bridegroom, Christ. A ruler is to be a window to see a perfect ruler, our true king. The kingdom, not of this earth, is wisdom. Proverbs 28, 28. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. A window helps us to see a greater reality, does it not? If you've ever seen a photo of Yosemite or the Grand Canyon, you probably look at it as like, that is a beautiful place. But when you actually go to visit a place like the Grand Canyon, you see that photos don't do it justice. The canyon stretches for as far as the eye can see. Every year I'm disappointed when I take a photo of fall foliage or foliage, not foliage, foliage, and I send it to a family member, like, the photo just does not do it justice compared to actually seeing it with your own eyes, right? But you still take the photo, right? Deep inside, we long for something greater. We don't put our hopes in kings of this earth. We put our hope in the king who sovereignly rules and reigns over everything. We put our hope in God. And so approach the election next year with that posture. Go vote, go cast your vote and let your voice be heard with your own righteousness, restraint, and your reverence. But trust the fact that God is ruler over all. The kingdom is wisdom. And consider God as king, even though those three areas require, or those three areas are required of earthly kings that he is righteous. Jesus' death shows us that God is righteous. Romans 3.26 shows us that Jesus' death is God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is also restrained in Romans chapter 2, speaking of God's kindness and forbearance and patience. It's meant to lead us to repentance. God is also reverent as the most and the greatest object of our worship. It is right for him to require our worship of him or he wouldn't be righteous without requiring our worship of him and our reverence. And so when we see a ruler behaving badly, or more importantly, when we behave badly, the Bible calls this sin and we run to God as the perfect ruler to lead us who laid aside the glories of heaven to take on flesh, to die for us so that we might live to God, so that we might be able to give him the worship that he is due. Going back to the garden, how he created Adam and Eve to live in perfect community with him. 
The pastor I know recently shared this. When we focus on ourselves, we oftentimes see nothing. When we focus on others, we see the specks in their eyes. When we focus on Christ, we see the logs in our own eyes. Seeing a ruler fail shouldn't cause us to rejoice, but rather it should call us to fall on our faces in reverent worship because God will never fail as the perfect ruler. Many rejoice that Trump's indictment again, and many can't wait for Biden to be treated in the same way, and that's all political. And maybe we shouldn't talk about that. But we talk about a kingdom. God is the true king that we truly need, and all our depraved presidents should remind us of this. The kingdom is wisdom when it focuses on God's intended creation in the garden, not our circumstances. So what do we do with this wisdom? Well, consider going back to the garden where God created Adam as a son. He gave them kingly rule of dominion, the same word that I mentioned that Solomon had over the whole realm that he ruled, of dominion that he had. Adam should have subdued and righteously crushed his enemy, the serpent, but he didn't. And in Exodus 4, God now calls Israel to him a son to exercise that same priestly, royal nation blessing to the world around it. But they failed as well. And in Deuteronomy 17, God gave Israel some provisions to appoint a man to be king over the nation, one who would rule with justice among God's people for God's people. And the king should be dedicated to God's word and fear the Lord. And God would bless him. It sounds like the things we hear in the book of Proverbs, right? And scripture recounts in 1 Samuel that they asked for a king, one to be like the other nations who would rule and lead them. And they were given a guy who was more handsome, stronger than anybody else in the world. His name was Saul. And they paid the price. And the nation suffered because Saul was not reverent. And eventually God chose their king for them. One after his own heart, this youngest son of a man named Jesse from a small insignificant town of Bethlehem who would rule with righteousness. He was still a sinner who would rule with restraint and reverence. And God told David that from David's seed, God would raise up another son. Eventually, David would have a son named Solomon who is writing the Proverbs. But eventually, down that family line, Jesus would be born to perfectly reign. That's why we sing Christmas songs in summer. In the garden, God was to rule and reign, and Adam failed, and that's where we find ourselves today. We had three things for kings to do, and I think there's five things that we would learn for us in the Proverbs. The kingdom is wisdom when we remember. We long for something greater. We should remember that. When we see things go great, we like to rejoice at the righteousness, the restraint, and the reverence of a good ruler, right? When we finish wars, when we win, our people go to the streets and we cheer, right? It's natural for us. When our country has a birthday, we love to blow things up to celebrate what has taken place. And those are examples of remembering, but it points to something greater. Proverbs 29.2 acknowledges that when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. 
So first, we remember. Second, we consider rejoicing. As a strong nation is cared for, we're not a Christian country, but our founders were aware and applied Scripture in many different ways to lead our country. And it shouldn't surprise us when we reap some of the benefits of what the Proverbs would call us, the biblical wisdom. Proverbs 11.10, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Or Psalm 33.12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. If we aren't rejoicing, Maybe that's a clue that something is broken. Something is wrong, that we long for something different. The Proverbs, the Bible, is not about our country. Our nation for a long time, though, followed wisdom, godly principles for proper living. And it tends to lead to success and blessing, according to the scriptures. But we must remember the kingdom is wisdom. And the kingdom is is God's. And so we rejoice, or so we remember, we rejoice. And the third, we must be reverent. Remember, God rules and reigns over everything. Proverbs 21, 1 to 2. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. Or 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory is belongs to the Lord. Daniel, an exilic historic prophet, is a man who's in a foreign land. He's in Babylon, and he's seeking to be faithful to his God under unbiblical leadership, tyrannical authority. And he says this in Daniel 2.21 of God. He, speaking of God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, and he acknowledges to those who have understanding. Whether we like our president, our former president, or whoever will be in the office in another year or so, God is ruling and reigning at all times. And it's wise to remember this. The proper understanding of the kingdom of God is wisdom. If you're familiar with our first president, George Washington, do you know the reason why the founders wanted him to be the president? It's not because he had a victory over the United Kingdom or Britain or England or whatever it was called back then. It's because he had no kids. There was no heir. There was no dynasty that could be established. Maybe they knew God needed to rule. So do you believe that God rules and reigns? I think if we did, we wouldn't worry as much as we do. We wouldn't try to manipulate and maneuver as much as we do. We wouldn't respond with disgust or apathy like we do. We shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin because it doesn't surprise us when we sin. But that doesn't mean we approve of sin or someone else's sin. We respond with reverence, remembering and rejoicing that God would save someone like you and me. And it's God who provides us freedom. And we, most importantly, know that the freedom we truly need is freedom from the sin that ails us. A window shows us a good king, but on the flip side, a mirror shows us ourselves. When leaders fail, we should look in the mirror and realize, I would too. 
So we continue to remember. We remember we're not of this world. We're citizens of a different kingdom. Philippians 3, Paul says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. And while we consider the fact that we are citizens of heaven, we are still citizens of this country. I think all of us are. Patrick Schreiner, he wrote a book recently titled Political Gospel. And he calls readers to two things, submission, but also subversion. When we rejoice, we remember, and are reverent, one more thing we can do is we can reform. Submitting means yielding and sacrifice at times, knowing that there's a greater cosmic battle taking place. But we can also subvert and not obey when an earthly kingdom calls us to do things that are not according to Scripture. We'll see that when we go through the book of Acts. We're called to be wise, and wisdom calls us back to a garden ethic and practice, and we can reform in subversion. Maybe some of us should join a select board or a school board so that we can be the one who leads and rules with righteousness, restraint, and with reverence. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And many today in our world call evil good and good evil. We don't have to agree with that. We shouldn't agree with that. We remember, though, that the power of the sword is given to the government, as we saw in Romans 13, but the keys of the kingdom are given to the church. That is you and I. The church should not be the government. The government should not be the church. And many of our world have foolishly tied the two together. And that will only work perfectly in the kingdom that we long for in heaven where we put our hope. And every time our president, past, present, or future messes up, we should respond with, thank God that God is not like him. Our hope is not in a constitution. Our hope is not in capitalism. Our hope is not in freedom. Our hope is in the King of kings and Lord of lords. I wish I had this wisdom in 2020. Maybe you do too. But we can moving forward. And so I want to close with Solomon's words from Psalm 72. Looking forward to a future king. Let parts of his prayer just wash over you as we close our time and we anticipate the return of our king, Jesus. Maybe you can close your eyes. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call to him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.
Friends, that's the king that we worship. He will return one day. And our final response is to repent. We're one day closer to that day than we were yesterday. And God, we pray that then that day would be soon. His judgment will be righteous, but it won't be with restraint at that point for those who do not believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it will be glorious. That day we will shout out with praise the same words that Zechariah the prophet prophesies. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Our king, friends, has come. He has died. He has rose. He should believe, be believed and he should be worshipped. He ascended, he reigns, and he rules with righteousness. Restraint and reverence. The White House won't save us. Jesus' work, if we believe, will though. And so we live lives of repentance because we know Jesus will come again. He would deal with things perfectly, justly, righteously. And so what may you need to repent of? Hope in an earthly king? Lack of personal righteousness? Fearing that your kingdom might not be established? Friends, the kingdom is wisdom. And next week we'll finish our study in the book of Proverbs. We'll tie all these messages together and I think one big application and how to take the wise world words of Proverbs to the world around us. And so let's worship him now again in song, but let's pray one more time. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have not been wise. If we're all honest in this room, we would all admit we have not been wise. And it's wisdom to acknowledge our frailty and our failures, but it's also wisdom to acknowledge and believe the gospel, that your son came to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to rise in glory and power. And there is no other name that we should worship other than him. And so God, we ask that you would help us to do that for your glory and for our joy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.